Welcome back, everyone, to the Wiser Money Show. I am your host, Zach, alongside Ken. Ken, how are you doing today? I am better. It sounds like you got a little uh, frog in your throat there, man. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. You know, you go on vacation, you have a good time, you come back sick. What else is new? (laughs) Well, before we get started in this real deep discussion on finances, you know, which is to some people probably about as exciting as watching paint dry. So where did you go on your vacation? I went to Mexico. I went to Riviera Maya, went with my wife and um, actually my cousins. So it was like a group of six of us. Had a good time, got away from the baby for a little bit, which we ended up missing him a lot more than we thought we would, but glad to be home. Glad to be home. Glad to be back. Yeah, that's the, um, it's the benefit and curse of the kids, you know, by about three months of being cooped up in the house, you're like, oh my God, I need a vacation. And then you get away and the second day you're like, I miss my kids. <laughs> yep, yep. That's exactly how it was for us. You know, it, it hits, it hits my wife a little harder than it does hit me, but um Definitely hit us both, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, glad to have you back. Glad, glad to be you back. Uh, you know, get any kind of worse thing than just a cough or a cold. But you know, I guess anytime you go to Mexico, it could be a lot worse than that. <laughs> Definitely could. I was. I'm good. I'm safe. Just a little cough is what it is. <laughs> All right. Well, I know last week or the last podcast, and I got. <laughs> Uh, somehow you I have caught, a cough too. Somehow I caught your call through Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> um, last time we talked, you know, we were talking about knowing what your number is, and we talked about just to catch everybody up that the risk number that you have and your sustainable, what we call your life number, and that is how much money do you need every month, and how do you sustain yourself throughout life. That risk number and those numbers um, are so arbitrary by the financial community. They're put out with sales presentations and, you know, and we talked last time about why you have a speedometer in your car. It's to know how fast you're going. And if you go too fast, it's risking you, yourself and other people and a ticket. And so we really believe that when it comes to this kind of math, there's no feeling about it. It's all math and it's all the numbers. And I know we la- last time we left off and we just talked about, you know, risk is not that feeling. And we were going to pick up today and we were going to talk about goals. And I know this is like the most ridiculous thing, but I mean, did you ever, when you were growing up high school and college, did they teach you properly how to set goals? You know, it's so funny that you're saying this because I know which way you're going with how to properly set goals. And the only reason why I know that is I was a teacher, middle school special ed for about six years, and we always talked about smart goals. And I know that you're going that way because we've talked about it before, about setting your goals to set smart goals. And I think it's funny to an extent, but also very, I guess, eye-opening that we teach kids, or at least I in my school taught kids the same way that we want to teach adults because adults t- tend to kind of stray away and kind of do their own thing. They're a grown up, they can, they're paying bills, so they don't have to bring themselves back to like that foundation. But we teach these kids from day one about smart goals being the specific, the measurable, the attainable, the relevant, and the time bound goals like put an actual time 
on those goals of when you're going to achieve them. And I think it's so funny because you go from teaching, you know, middle school kids to now teaching adults, and you're still using the same type of smart goals because those are the only goals that are really going to be able to get you to where you want to go. Because anybody can say, oh, I have a goal. I want to be a millionaire tomorrow. Yeah, that's a goal. It's not, it's not specific. How are you going to do it? It's not measurable. Like, you know, in day one that you didn't do it. And is it really attainable? Is it relevant to where what you're trying to do? Because you didn't actually set the goal that you want to get to. So I, I had a feeling you were going here because we talked about this in, in business of setting goals and always setting those smart goals. But that's the, that's the real, uh, I guess, real life example that I could tell you about goals is working with kids about setting them. Well, I got a question on that accord. Um, when you were going through school, did anybody teach you goals in school? Not like that. No, because you're you're essentially a generation and a half behind me. There was nothing in our school, any schooling about setting goals, how to do it, how to measure them, how to track them, how to stay habitually attached to them. But it's interesting that you taught um, your kids. What years? Interesting. What years did you did you teach? Uh, I taught from 2011. No, that's a lie. I was in college 2011. I taught from 2015 to uh, like 2020. Okay. All right. Interesting. So is this a, a normal thing that kids are now getting taught in school? See, I don't think, so I was in a charter school. So in the charter network, it's a little bit different. It's run a little bit differently. Um, they get private funding, they get public funding and they just have a different type of curriculum. So this is more for the charter network. Definitely in the charter network, they are teaching smart goals to, to students. That's amazing. Public school. I never learned it. My friends don't really talk about it who are in education. One of my really good friends is a principal. He's never brought up smart goals. I'm sure he wants to do that because that's what he's learned to, you know, put on to his educators to teach the kids, but it's kind of specific as to who are you talking to? Who's your teacher in that year or in that moment? Are they going to teach you those smart goals or not? But when I was growing up, they gave us a, a poster board and said, put everything on here that you want. And it's like, you put your Lamborghini on there, you put your mansion on there, but they don't actually go into how to set the goals to, to achieve those things. It's more of a vision board of what you want. You know, it's amazing. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, so this had to be 1981, 1982, right when I got into this profession. And there was a guy back then, his name was John Ferlini. Never forget him. Very successful guy. And I always wanted to ask him how he did it, and but he was so busy. And I just finally got up to gumption and I said, you know, I know you're super successful and just how do you do it? And because he was successful, he's not going to spend the time with me. He went into his office, he came out and he handed me a book by Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich. And he goes, you got one month, give it back to me. This is my book. <laughs> and that book actually completely changed my life. And it really helped me understand about visualization, about setting goals, about creating groups of people, masterminds around you, 
about utilizing your strengths with other people, but utilizing their strengths together. Things that I, you know, they, they don't teach you this stuff in school. Right. You know, they they teach you how to open a book and and remember something that you probably will never use again the rest of your life. So, well, let's jump into smart goals, and this will be a great conversation. And I would suggest anybody that's never read Napoleon Hill's book, if you really want to understand how. And here's a, here's a real quick. Just <clears throat> so after I read this book, and it literally changed my life. I did a little research on this, and what's very interesting is how Napoleon Hill actually got to write this book. I don't know. Do you know the story behind this? I don't. I don't. Okay. So Napoleon Hill was a writer and he was broke. He was living in New York City and they barely had enough money to pay the light bill and he had kids and everything else. And he just wasn't getting anywhere in life. Right. And so at that time, there was a guy named Andrew Carnegie. Now, some people call him Andrew Carnegie. Who knows? Potato, <laughs> potato, right. So anyway, um, if you know anything about Andrew Carnegie, he built all the libraries and he was the richest man in the world because he took U.S. Steel and combined it with J.P. Morgan and conglomerated along with Charles Schwab, all of the steel companies at the turn of the century, created the biggest company. He was the richest man in the world. He would now today, he would make Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk look poor. That's how wealthy he was. And so he started spreading the wealth around by just building parks and building libraries. And he was a big believer in just taking what he had learned and giving back. And what's really interesting about his story is he, uh, so Napoleon Hill gets a call from, you know, now, now that I'm telling this story, we're never going to get to smart. We're going to have to put it into another episode, right? <laughs> so, but I think it's really important so that people can really understand why these smart goals are so important. So, so uh, Napoleon Hill gets on a train and because Andrew Carnegie said, I'd like you to come to my mansion, which was in like the other part of northern uh, New York. So he was in the city. He had to take a train all the way out and he had to pay for it. And he was broke. And so the promise was if he gets there, he'd be reimbursed for the train ride. But Andrew wanted to have him write the his entire system of how he became the richest man in the world. And so he sat down with Mr. Carnegie and he thought, oh gosh, this is great. He's going to offer me a job. He yep. is going to, you know, I'm going to become absolutely wealthy by this interview. And Andrew Carnegie basically stepped in and said, you know, I am the richest man in the world. And there are some certain principles that I have followed to get to this. And I would like you to commit the rest of your life to writing this book and putting out there before I pass away what these secrets are. So, and you know, Napoleon Hill's going, okay, fantastic. And he asks you, what are you, what, what are you going to pay me? And he says, I'm not going to pay you anything at all. Zero, Zippo. And so here's this broke guy down on his luck, down on his confidence. He's thinking to himself, how am I going to pay the light bill? Right. So Carnegie basically said to him, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up interviews with some of the richest people in the world, J.P. Morgan, Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, and I'm going to get you in front of those people. And once I teach you these principles, you should be able to use these principles to become extremely wealthy. So basically, Napoleon Hill is thinking about his family. I need a job. I need to pay the light bill. And he basically said, 
Uh, it, I just can't afford to do that unless I have some kind of base salary. I just can't afford to do that. So Carnegie, knowing how, how smart he was, he, you know, as Napoleon Hill explains that he gets up, he starts walking out the door and Carnegie says, hey, before you leave, what I want you to do for the next seven days, and I will give you your train ride money back, but all I want you to do is one thing, is think about all these people that you can get in contact with. Think about the wealth and the knowledge and the contacts that I'm going to put you in front of. And then think through the faith that I'm telling you, you will become extremely wealthy. But here's what I want you to do. Every morning, as soon as you get up, I want you to go look in the mirror. And I just want you to repeat this. I can do this. I can, I can become one of the wealthiest people in the world by knowing what he knows. And so Napoleon Hill leaves. He thinks to himself, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> so he barely has enough money to get back. He doesn't have enough money to even get a meal on the way back. He gets his little reimbursement and the agreement that he's going to do this every day. So next day, Napoleon Hill wakes up and he thinks, hey, I made this promise. Oh, this is so ridiculous. But there's one thing about Napoleon Hill. When he made a promise, he would do it. And so what he did was he says, this is so ridiculous. I am going to get up and I'm going to go look in the mirror. And only because I promised I would do this for my reimbursement to get home. Yep. And he did it. And he basically started talking to himself in the mirror. He goes, walked away the first day, as he said, it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever done in my whole life. And by the second day, he says, it was the most ridiculous thing I've done in my whole life. By the third day, he said, what started to happen was somehow, whatever this universal energy is that's out there in the world, it started to portray or, or poured into my brain and started saying, I wonder if I could. Right. By the fourth day, he started saying to himself, maybe there's a chance. And all he kept doing is repeating what he promised he would repeat. By the fifth day, he started having belief. He started saying, maybe I could do this. Maybe this, maybe this could actually happen. So by the sixth day, he started looking at himself in the mirror and he said, I, I can do this. And so he went to his wife, he made the proposition, he called Carnegie, and to summarize a very long story on how this actually turned out was, he did spend the rest of his life um, writing the entire script for, or the entire manuscript for Think and Grow Rich, which, by the way, is now in the public domain, and there must be 50 different iterations of it. You know, Think and Grow Rich for accountants, Think and Grow Rich for plumbers, and you know, right. every iteration out there. But what he did was he also became extremely wealthy because, again, he was in contact because Carnegie put him in contact with all these leaders and thought provokers of the world at that time in the early 1900s. And that book um, has changed millions of people's lives. But the, the impetus of what I'm really saying is that when we talk about smart goals, one of the things I've seen over 40 years of trying to help people get to their financial goals is, I tell you, 99% of them come with no goal. And here's what they say. I want to become wealthy. I want to retire and not run out of money. That's not a goal. That's just like a thought, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, okay, I want to win the lottery, right? It's not a goal. 
It's not a specific defined goal. So I'm telling that story because of the importance of, of why we talk to ourselves and, and why we have these self-reflection um, conversations so that we can build something that we want. Because just you know, hope is not a plan. Wow. It just it does not work. It doesn't work with businesses. It doesn't work with sports teams. It doesn't work with life. It doesn't work with parenting. God only knows that, right? It's you got to have a plan. So with that in mind, I'm going to turn it back to you. And maybe what you can do is go through, you know, because you taught this. You taught this before. Go through the SMART goals. Explain what each one of those really means in detail. And then we'll pick up in the next episode how to convert that into your financial goals. Absolutely. So when talking about SMART goals, it's the, the biggest thing is to be specific. Like you said, you somebody could come and say, I want to have the most money and retire and never have to work again and not run out of money. Well, that's that's cool. But like, what is your goal to get to that point? And you want to be as specific as possible. And one major goal might have to have multiple smaller goals, also smart goals leading up to that major goal. So get as specific as possible on what you are going to do, what steps you're going to take to get to that end goal. So if the goal is to have, you know, let's, well, I'll talk about that in a second, the realistic part of it, <laughs> but um, be specific, be as specific as possible and make even stepping stones to get to that final ultimate end goal. Always being specific, which is the S of SMART. The M is measurable or measured goals. That's another key point to having those smaller goals moving up to that larger goal. You want to be able to not only have them be specific, but be able to measure them. Did you do it or did you not? Like, is there a way that you can, with full certainty, say, I achieved this goal because I did X, Y, or Z? So you want to make sure that it's measurable and get to that next point, which is the A is attainable. Are you able to actually do it? If I say I want to do X, Y, or Z, and I'll have a million dollars tomorrow, that's not happening. Like that's that's almost impossible. So you want to make sure that it is an actual attainable goal. That's why you don't just have that one end goal. You have to continue to have those smaller building block goals to get to that end goal. So this way you can have a specific goal. It's measurable. It's attainable. You've done it. Now you move on to the next part of that goal to get to that end goal. Make sure it's relevant. So relevance is key in any goal that you make because that might just be a completely separate goal. You could have multiple goals. You don't just need one end goal, but it needs to be relevant to what you're actually doing. So when I was teaching it and somebody said they wanted to score a 100% on their math their next math test. Well, if part of their goal was, I want to get an A in spelling, well, that's not relevant to math. So make sure that you bring them back to it and make sure they're making a relevant goal as to, I'm going to get a 100% on my next homework assignment, which could be relevant to that math to get them to that end goal of getting the 100% on their next math test. So always make sure that every goal that you have is relevant to that end goal. And the last one is the time. Put a timestamp on it. By 
when you are 55, you want to have X. So but maybe to get to that main goal, maybe when you're 35, you want to have this much. Maybe when you're 45, you want to be diversified in six different portfolios, like whatever that may be. You just want to make sure that there is a timestamp on it. Because when you peel it all back and you start to go back to your goal to determine, did you actually achieve that goal? First, being specific is going to help you get to that point. But then where is is it measured? You're able to tell with 100% certainty you have done it or you didn't. With the time, that's another piece with 100% certainty. Did you do it or did you not? And now goals are goals because it's not, life or death situation at that point. You want to get to that point. So making it attainable is important, but you could also stretch yourself a little bit, push yourself a little bit to get to that point, as opposed to shooting for the stars, you know, maybe shoot for like a hundred feet in the air first, and then the 250 feet in the air. And then you finally get to that top piece. So when you look back at all of your goals, you're able to, with 100% certainty, say, I have achieved this because I did this in this amount of time and it's done. And then you can move on to that next piece. You know, there's so much of what I was thinking when you were talking about, I was trying to remember over all the years, where were people's failures? And, you know, I have... It's been easy to get specific goals because you can mathematically reverse engineer anything. If somebody comes to us and they want to build a business, they want to start a business, they want to sell a business. Uh, easy. It's very, it's very mathematical. But what I found out is most business owners and certainly most individuals, individuals are a lot worse off than business owners. Some business owners can and do measure what they're doing. What ma- measure what they're managing. I'll take a famous quote from Peter Drucker, who says, that which cannot be measured cannot be managed. If you can't manage it, you can't grow it. So if somebody comes to us and they want us to help them start a business, grow a business, I don't care if it's reduced taxation on their business. If an individual comes to us and they want us to uh, build a retirement plan, show cash flow, or build a distribution plan, right? You still have to have a way of measuring it. So that's a failure. I think what I'd like to do is, um, let me finish the other one that really hit me. Attainable, I do think that most people, if they lay out the right plan, it's attainable. But I think the two biggest failures are measured and relevance. So I know we're out of time for today. We're right at the top of our, our time limit. I want to pick up the next episode and really talk about when you're setting goals, how you can fail at your goals by failure of measurement and failure of relevance. Because the other ones I see people are much more successful at. And if you ask me probably categorically why most people don't get to their goals, it's it's all the smart layout. But then when they get into it, it's the measurement and the relevance that kills them. So we'll wrap up for today, but uh, next time we come back, let's let's pick that up because I think that that'll really help people ha- get to their goals instead of going through this whole exercise and then failing halfway through it. Right.
Awesome. Well, Ken, thank you so much. And we'll see you all soon. Okay. Thank you.